this is Cal Bussman, and welcome to Big Questions. As many of you know, this podcast started at the end of November with Tim Ferriss as our first guest. Tim was instrumental in making all this happen, and I'll never be able to thank him enough for his support and yours. Ever since those first two episodes came out, I've been avalanched with emails, phone calls, and congratulatory tweets. I'm going to be honest with you. This podcast was all assembled in like two days. We figured we'd take a holiday break until mid-January and then ramp it up. Turns out you all couldn't wait that long. You know, I was Santa Claus at a holiday party, and it felt so good to give gift after gift. So I figured I'd pass along one more, a story about how this podcast all started. You'll hear it all in a moment, but first, I want to take a moment to thank my sponsors, Squarespace and ZipRecruiter. Without them, you wouldn't be hearing these words. So let me take a moment and tell you why I believe so much in these companies. After that, it'll be story time. If your company was a book, the opening page of your website would be like your cover and table of contents. Squarespace makes it so easy for that website to look great. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. Use the offer code FUSSMAN to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain and get your year off to a great new start. Guess where I'm going at the beginning of the new year? That's right, to the offices of ZipRecruiter to meet the brass. They're going to show me how with just a single click, you can get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Next time you hear me, I'm going to know the secret to why ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Welcome to Big Questions. How'd this podcast get the name? Good question. I guess you could trace it back to a day in November, 1963. I had just turned seven years old and I'm sitting in my second grade class in Yonkers, New York. Miss Jaffe leaves the room for a few minutes and when she comes back, she's whiter than a sheet. Never seen her like that before. And she starts talking in a voice that's so calm it's almost scary. And she tells us that President Kennedy has just been shot. We're all let out of school, go home, turn on the TV. That's all the country is talking about. John F. Kennedy has been assassinated. As the day progresses, we find out that Lyndon B. Johnson, the vice president, has taken the oath of office. He's now the new president. And by the end of the day, early evening, my parents call me over to the kitchen table. See, this is the first time I really confronted death in my life. 
and they didn't know how I was going to take it. So they wanted to reassure me. So they get me at the table and they say, Cal, look, this has happened in our country's history before. A system has been put in place. That's why when the president is assassinated, the vice president steps up. And that's why Lyndon B. Johnson is the new president. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to have breakfast just like you did this morning. Things are going to return to normal. You're going to go back to school and everything's going to be fine. And they went to talk to my brother and I'm sitting at that table and I can't help but wonder, this guy, Lyndon B. Johnson, I'll bet you he always wanted to be president. Is he happy that he's president? Or is he sad that he's president? Because he's only president now that John F. Kennedy has been assassinated. Or maybe he's scared to be president because they're going to try and kill him too. Well, I couldn't wrap my mind around this. So I'm thinking and thinking and I reach for a piece of paper, pencil, and I start writing. Dear President Johnson, what does it feel like? And I ask him if he was happy to be president, if he was sad, if he was scared. I wish him well. And I take this piece of paper and I fold it up into threes, stuff it into an envelope. On the envelope, I write, President Lyndon B. Johnson, the White House. In the top left-hand corner, put my name and address, lick a stamp, that's what we used to do in those days, put it in the top right-hand corner, and the next day, I go out, and I drop the envelope in the mailbox. Didn't tell anybody about it. I really had no ambitions out of this letter. Not like I wanted to be Secretary of State one day. I was just curious how did Lyndon B. Johnson feel when he took that oath of office? Well, two days later, I forgot about it. Time started passing, went back to school. Everything did return to normal. But then, about six months later, my mom comes breathlessly running up the steps of our apartment, holding an envelope in her right hand. It's a letter from the White House, from the president, to me. Actually, it was written by his personal secretary, Juanita D. Roberts. And it was a very cool letter for a couple of reasons. First, there was a misspelling. That made it completely genuine. And second, it was very respectful. Nobody had ever spoken to me so respectfully. I can remember the second sentence started like this. In answer to your query, well, I didn't even know what a query was, but I knew that somehow I was important because all of a sudden all my mom and dad's friends flooded the apartment. They wanted to see the letter from the president. The principal at school wanted to see the letter. And I realized 
that one big question could make the smallest kid in his class a big man, could get him to the most powerful person on earth. That same year, Muhammad Ali became heavyweight champion of the world. We're talking 64 now. And he became my hero. It was more than what he did in the ring. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Rumble, young man, rumble. Ha! It was about the questions that he asked and the way that he asked them because Ali asked questions in a way that weren't questions. What happened was the Vietnam War expanded and Ali was drafted into the military. He said, I'm not going. I ain't got nothing against no Viet Cong. Well, the country was split in half. Half the people loved what Ali said. And they got behind him. Other half hated him for it. And they were sending him death threats. And I thought, man, this guy is so courageous. Stand up for his beliefs like that. He'd go to jail before he went into the Vietnam War. And it made me wonder, what is this Vietnam War about anyway? And so my mind moved to bigger and bigger questions. My dream at that point was to write a magazine story about my childhood hero, Muhammad Ali. That and to one day see my smiling face over a column in a big city newspaper. Problem was, I didn't know how to interview. If you asked me what an interview was, I would have told you, meet the press or what happens in a locker room after a sporting event. But I knew I had to learn in order to achieve my dreams. So when I found out the University of Missouri had a great journalism school, I went. Four months after I graduated, I'm sitting ringside when Muhammad Ali wins the heavyweight championship for the third time. Year after that, if you lived in St. Louis and opened the sports section of the Post-Dispatch, you saw my smiling face over a column. And a year after that, I hit the big time, New York City and joined a unique startup magazine called Inside Sports, greatest place to be a young writer. At night, after work, sitting at the bar next to the gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson, throwing back shots. The next morning, I'm on a plane to Pittsburgh to interview the Steelers as they go for their fifth Super Bowl ring. Man, I was living my dream. But then, suddenly, in a finger snap, it all disappeared. Like a lot of startups, Inside Sports was an artistic success, but not so commercially. It went belly up, and there I am, 23 years old, and basically achieved everything I set out to do. And now what? I have no idea. This was actually kind of like a life crisis. So I called up my mom and dad, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to take a little time off to travel. Figure this out. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, my mother said. Little did she know when she said it that I wasn't coming back for 10 years. 
But it was an amazing trip that took me all over the world. And as I went, my questions changed. And there was a reason for that. A reason I can boil down to four words. I had no money. Well, maybe I had a little money, but certainly not enough to spend night after night after night in hotel rooms. So this is how the trip went down. I'd go to a bus station or a train station, ask for a ticket to the next destination. Didn't matter where it was going. What mattered to me was the trip down the aisle. So I'm walking down that aisle and I'm looking for an empty seat. An empty seat next to somebody who looks interesting. Next to somebody I think I could trust. Next to somebody who looks like they trust me. And I gotta pick just the right empty seat. Because once I sit down in it, a conversation's gonna get started and that train is gonna get rolling. And by the end of that trip, by the end of that conversation, I need that person in the next seat to invite me home. Otherwise, I got no roof over my head. Let me tell you how seriously I took this. Let me tell you how high the stakes were. Let's say I'm walking down that aisle and I see a beautiful woman. She's smiling right at me. Got no rings on her fingers. Could be a supermodel. I just walked right on by. Because let's face it, no way was she taking me home. But, but, that Hungarian grandma in the back, that toothless old Hungarian grandma eating crackers out of the bottom of her purse, now she could be a winner. So I walk down the aisle to the back, take a seat next to grandma. Train starts rolling. After a few minutes, I turn to her and say, what makes a great goulash? She doesn't understand any English. I don't speak Hungarian. We're gesticulating back and forth, trying to make each other understand each other. Doesn't work. The great thing about these moments is that even though this time was before the Berlin Wall came down, before the Iron Curtain came down, there were always young people who were learning English and they were attracted to these conversations like metal filings to a magnet. He wants to know what makes a great goulash. Now you see grandma's chest swell. I'll tell him what makes a great goulash. And she's talking about her grandmother's goulash, her mother's goulash, the time, the care, the love, the ingredients she puts in her goulash. And then she turns to these young people and says, you know, I've been on this train for more than half a century, and I've seen some of you from time to time. Never has one of you come over, sat down next to me, and asked about my goulash. But this young man travels from thousands of kilometers away because he knows that it's wise to ask about my goulash. Well, you tell him he's coming home with me, and you can all come with him because he is going to taste my goulash, and you can too. Well, train stops. 
get out of the car, heading to grandma's. Now grandma is in high gear. She's inviting her friends. She's inviting her relatives. And the next night, they're all packed around me as I sit at the head of the table and lift grandma's goulash to my lips for the very first time. My eyes close. My cheeks lift with rapture. And the crowd goes wild. He loves grandma's goulash. A four-day party breaks out, during which time, guy comes over to me and says, By the way, have you ever tasted homemade apricot brandy? No, because my father, he makes the best homemade apricot brandy you will ever taste. Lives about 45 minutes from here. You gotta come taste his homemade apricot brandy. Okay. Grandma's party ends. We go to taste the apricot brandy. Another party breaks out. This one, five days. During which time, an old man approaches. He says, Have you by any chance ever visited the paprika capital of the world? No. You cannot leave Hungary without visiting Seged, the paprika capital of the world, as my guest. Okay. Well, the bottom line here is a single question about goulash could start a chain reaction that got me six weeks of free lodging and meals. And that's how I got around the world for 10 years, passed from dinner table to dinner table to dinner table, herding reindeer above the Arctic Circle, rolling around with mountain gorillas in the heart of Africa. On and on it went, and then, then I heard about a magical beach in Brazil called Jericoacoara. They said it was the most beautiful beach in the world, like the most amazing sand dunes from the Sahara, placed next to the most crystalline waters of the Caribbean. This was a place from another time. No hotels there. To get there, you had to travel by crude sailing vessel and mule back. They didn't even take any money. No hotels. You went carrying a sack of rice on your shoulder to barter with the fishermen for a hammock in front of their homes and your meals. Man, I gotta get to Jericoacoara. Well, as luck would have it, when I reached the closest city, Fortaleza, a travel agency has just opened with tours of Jericoacoara. First trip leaving that Friday night at midnight. I buy one of the last tickets. I got a few days to wait. And I can't wait to get to Jericoacoara. I can't believe it. Kevin, the manager, just interrupted the middle of the story. He says we need a break for a word from our sponsors. He interrupted the Jericoacoara story. But you know what? Kevin's right. Because without our sponsors, you wouldn't be hearing that story. So now, 
let's take a moment to just hear about the magic of Squarespace and ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter, 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 ZipRecruiter. In the time it took me to say that first ZipRecruiter, you could have made a single click and posted your job opening to more than 100 top job boards. By the time that second ZipRecruiter came off my lips, its smart matching technology had already gone to work to notify candidates about your job. But here's what really separates ZipRecruiter from the rest of the pack. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them, which is why 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Anyone who hears this can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman. ZipRecruiter, the fastest and smartest way to hire. We're heading into the new year, and you know what my New Year's resolution's going to be? To get into the 21st century. I've always been an old school guy. My own kids make fun of me because I don't even know how to sign up for my own podcast. But that's all going to change. This year, I'm going all in on social media and the internet. I'm sitting down with a website developer who's been telling me all about the wonders of Squarespace. And we're going to create a new CalFussman.com. Squarespace makes it simple to customize your website in the most beautiful way. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. Use the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website and domain. And you too can have a great new look for the new year. And now, back to Jericoacoara. Little do I know, that Friday morning, day of the trip, a Brazilian woman calls up the travel agency and says, I'd like a ticket to Jericoacoara. I'm sorry, we're sold out. But I've got to get to Jericoacoara. Well, our next tour is in two weeks. We can sell you a ticket then. No, no, no. I have to get to Jericoacoara tonight. But we don't have any tickets. Well, if... If somebody cancels, can I get their ticket? Sure, the agent said. Give me your name and your number. I'll give you a call. Well, the woman doesn't wait. An hour later, she calls back. Any tickets to Jericoacoara? No. Hour after that. Any tickets to Jericoacoara? No. Every hour on the hour, she's calling. No, 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 no. Finally, 10 o'clock at night. Any tickets to Jericoacoara? Nah, the agent said. But you know what? I can tell how much you really want to go to Jericoacoara. So how about this? For half price, you can stand in the aisle. Great, she says. She runs off to the bus station. Well, at midnight, bus doors open, everybody's boards. I take a seat in the middle on an aisle. It's completely dark. Every seat is filled, and then 
just before the bus doors close, I see a silhouette come up the steps, turn, and walk down the aisle and stop right next to me. It's dark and I can't see her face. All I can see is her silhouette. But I know there she is. There she is. And I let down my guard and I speak to the beautiful woman headed to the magical beach in Brazil. I ask her a question. Seemed like a small question at the time. Would you like my seat? No, she said, and turned away. Well, I didn't realize how big a question it was. Because that was the end of the trip. Did I mention she was a supermodel? Well, I better have, because when you don't describe your wife of 25 years as a supermodel, when you tell this story, you're in big trouble when you get home. Well, it all ended up, well, we ended up getting married, moving to New York, and once again, my questions began to evolve. Esquire magazine had started this column called What I've Learned. It was wisdom from the world's icons, the men and women who had influenced the last half century. Colin ran in their own words, and I got a chance to interview these people and put those words on paper. And it was amazing because all of the skills that I learned on trains and buses were transferable to the interviews with some of the most powerful, compelling, and talented people on the planet. So now I'm talking with Jeff Bezos and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Mikhail Gorbachev. I even get a chance to spend a week with my childhood hero, Muhammad Ali, to write a cover story. Well, the list of icons goes on and on. I must have talked to hundreds of them, including the father of open heart surgery, the creator of the internet. No, it wasn't Al Gore. It's a guy named Vince Cerf, including the broadcaster, Larry King. And my questions to Larry took me to a new place because a few years later, Larry decided to write his soup to nuts autobiography and he asked me to help him write it. So moved out to Los Angeles and I show up to breakfast with Larry King and his childhood buddies. They have breakfast every morning they're all a generation older than me. I meet the gang, and after breakfast, that's when I interview Larry for his book. So I'm at breakfast every day for months, and I write the book, and I keep going to breakfast. I go with him to a CNN show, and I'm standing right on side of the set. Can't see me there but I'm basically 
by osmosis, taking in an apprenticeship with Larry King. I'm listening to one of the great articulators of all time speak day after day, breakfast after breakfast, show after show. I don't even realize what's happening because it's happening slowly. See, when I first got to breakfast, I didn't speak very much. I kind of quietly listened in. And one time, Larry actually looked at me, actually slammed his fist on the table and said, speak, Cal, speak. Well, I started to learn how to speak. And then years later, and we still have breakfast together to this day when we're both in LA, a young guy comes in to the breakfast restaurant. He had dropped out of school in order to go on a mission. He wanted to know the definition of success. So his dream was to find the most successful people in America and ask them what it was like when they were his age. He wanted to write a book about it. And that's why he tracked down Larry King. He comes into breakfast. This guy's name is Alex Benayan. And Larry says to him, you're writing a book, huh? And he says, yeah. Well, you don't really need to talk to me. You should talk to Cal. He writes books. Cal, will you give him a few minutes? So I sit down with this young guy for a few minutes at the table. And I don't know what got into me, but I looked him in the eyes. And I asked him a first question that probably was very unexpected. I said, are heroes dead? Now, the reason I asked him that question was because I'd been wondering about it. In my eyes, a hero was somebody like Muhammad Ali, who would stand up for his beliefs against the government. It was Mikhail Gorbachev, who would tear down the Berlin Wall. It was Nelson Mandela, who would bring a country together. And I don't see these people coming around much anymore. So I ask Alex this question, and he says, no, heroes aren't dead. There are lots of them. And I said, well, tell me, who are your heroes? And he says, Tim Ferriss. Tim who? Tim Ferriss? Now, I have never heard of Tim Ferriss. And I can't believe that he would mention Tim Ferriss. I never heard of this guy. And to be a hero, in my view, everybody in the world has got to know who you are. So I say, that can't be a hero. And he said, well, he's a hero of mine. I said, why? And he explained that Tim had written this book called The 4-Hour Workweek changed the way he thought. Written a book called The 4-Hour Body, allowed Alex to lose a bunch of weight, and not only that, his family lost a bunch of weight following this book. And we get into a long conversation about heroes. Conversation lasts more than two hours. At the end of it, we start to become friends. And I start to see Alex a lot. 
As time passes, Alex meets more and more successful people. And one of those people is Tim Ferriss. And he then introduces me to Tim. As soon as Tim and I sit down, we hit it off. And Tim invites me to appear as a guest on his podcast, which now has millions and millions of listeners. So I say, okay, fine. I'll go on the podcast. I sit down with him. Podcast goes for about three hours of stories. We have a great time. Goes on the internet and gets amazing response. Tim asked me to come back again. So I do. At the end of the second podcast, he says to me, Cal, Cal, you got to start your own podcast. Now, I got to admit it. I was scared. I was scared. And you know why I was scared? Not because I didn't think I could interview somebody. I was scared because I am not a technological kind of guy. You know, I'm the kind of guy who I got my phone out and I start to text a message with my thumbs and my daughter will watch it and it's agonizing to her. My teenage daughter, she literally will rip the phone out of my hand and text it herself in seconds. So I don't move very quick with technology. And I'm I'm nervous that if I go to an interview, especially with somebody famous or important, and I can't set up the recorder right, and I'm putting the wires in the wrong place, and the audio doesn't work, and we do the interview, and then afterward I find out that I've failed to hook it up right, and I have to ask to do the interview again, well, that stuff just scares me. So I kind of pushed it away, while at the same time, because of other connections Alex had, he put me on a stage to speak. And once I start speaking, I get offers to speak some more. So I'm more and more comfortable speaking and I know I can interview people, but I'm still scared that I can't get the recorder right. Well, Tim keeps at it, keeps letting me know. Cal, Cal, you gotta start the podcast. You gotta start the podcast. And one day he says, listen, You have breakfast with Larry King every morning. Just ask him if he'll sit down and do a little interview with you. You record it, send it to me. I'll put it up there. I'll make it simple for you. Just relax and do it. So I say, okay. And then my manager, guy who gets all my speaking engagements, Kevin, the manager, has a bright idea to get an audio guy to record the podcast. The guy who's done podcasts himself knows what he's doing. So that made it incredibly easy for me. All I had to do was go in, sit down, have a great conversation, and all the technological stuff was taken care of. And I walked out of there and I thought, You know, Tim was right. I can do this. So I'm going to dive in with big questions. 
I have no idea where this podcast is going to take me, but I'm very curious because every time I go on a journey, something happens. I feel like the best is yet to come, and I'm so happy to have you along at my side. Oh, 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 wait. One more thing. I got this pal in North Carolina. Restaurateur, John Pare. He knows restaurants inside out. So I'm sitting down with him. We're breaking bread. And he says, hey, loved your first podcast. But not only that, he said, I loved your sponsor. John said, I tell everyone I know who's starting a restaurant to get their site up on Squarespace. That's because it makes the process simple and you can customize your site in the most elegant way. So John's going on and on and on about Squarespace. I'm telling you, he should be the one doing this commercial. It made me so happy because it's so important to me to partner up with sponsors I believe in. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. Use the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, to save 10% off on your first purchase of a website or domain. You will be glad you did. The economy's doing great. Stock market's in a great place. Wouldn't surprise me if your business was expanding and you need a hire fast. You can breathe easy. By going to ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards with a single click. Immediately, ZipRecruiter's smart technology notifies qualified candidates about your job. That's right. ZipRecruiter finds them for you, which is why 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.